Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Tonight uh, we're going to continue in our study of uh, building on the found, uh, building on uh, creating a a building that glorifies God, and and uh, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that uh, I've rarely heard a sermon from, uh, and for that reason, this may not be the best sermon you ever heard of, but. Uh, we're going we're gonna to try it anyway. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon. Now, uh, a lot of people don't uh, preach out of this for one because it is a uh, Old Testament Scripture and there's a lot of pastors that shy away from preaching out of the Old Testament. Why, I don't know. It is so full and rich of history. I guess that's why I love it so much, but uh, I do enjoy preaching out of the Old Testament from time to time, and uh, that's not the problem that I have. Uh, the, the problem that most pastors have is, is that this is poetry, or these are songs. And uh, while songs are, or poetry is not uh, necessarily inherently difficult to preach uh, from, um, the fact that these are love songs is what causes a lot of pastors to shy away from this passage of Scripture. And one of the things that, uh, that makes sh- uh, sure that we have a strong foundation, ensure, and uh, the title of my sermon tonight is uh, uh, Ensuring a strong foundation. One of the keys to having a strong foundation is to have a good uh, married life in your relationship to your spouse. Uh, One of the saddest things that there are to see when you go somewhere, uh, particularly if you go out on a date from time to time with your loved one, is to see two people that are married that spend all of their time at the table like this staring at their phone and messing with their phone. Now, to be honest, uh, I have a rule in my house that when we go sit at the table, any table, it is to be without the cell phones. No tablets, no cell phones, no TVs, no nothing. It's just us at the table. We even have a separate room for eating. That's most people don't know what that is. It's not called the living room where you're sitting on your couch watching TV. It is called the dining room. We have a dining room. That's where we sit to eat because that's the only room that has a table with chairs around it to sit and eat at. But we eat there uh, also because it is away from all the TVs. Now, when we bought this house, uh, uh, this house had a TV in nearly every other room uh, and I'm surprised it didn't have a TV in the bathroom. Um, uh, the former uh, owners of this house have... Uh, uh, he has a, a little uh, trailer down by the river. Now, this is a one-bedroom trailer, but it has four TVs in it. So uh, you can imagine how many TVs he had in the house that he lived in uh, all the time. 
he had a TV in the living room, he had a TV in two of the bedrooms, had a TV out on the back porch, and so he had four TVs in the house. Now, uh, you know, I think he comes from a generation that enjoys keeping up with what's going on, but if you consider how young people are today, that's nothing. They carry their TV around with them. They watch TV on their cell phone or their tablet. So they take the TV into the bathroom. They take the TV into the kitchen. They take a TV into the dining room. They take a TV everywhere they go because they watch TV on their phone or they watch it on... And I, by the way, I'm putting this up here. My watch battery went out. Uh, so I don't have a watch to tell what time it is, and that's the only reason that's there. Um, not as a distraction or uh, any other reason other than to tell time. But um, uh, TV or, or just the fascination or the obsession with the Internet has been something that is uh, not only driving a wedge between married couples, but, but uh, amongst families as well. And it's true in er- just about every home you see. Uh, you go in there and you find out that, uh, that just about everybody in the home is looking at something, looking at, at anything, and nobody, even if you're sitting all in the same room, they're not all watching the same thing. If, if somebody's watching TV on the big TV, you've got at least two other people, if not three, that are watching something else on other devices. They're just in the same room. Now, um, there's nothing wrong with watching TV. There's nothing wrong with uh, looking at your phone. But if it, if it drives a wedge between you and your family, it's a problem. It's an issue. And it's something that ought to... Uh, be addressed, uh, but there are families that go and sit in a restaurant to eat and they don't have their phones out and they don't talk even though there's nothing that's distracting them. They just sit there and there is silence. Now there's silence between a couple that is so much in love that they express their love towards one another without words and there's silence that is deadly. Silence that is uh, there because the couple has nothing to say to each other. Not because they have nothing in common. Not because they've said everything there is to say. Not because there is an abundance of things that they've talked about already before they sit down. But simply because they just don't talk to each other any longer. This is uh, devastating to a family devastating to a marriage and it is uh, something that will uh, kill a marriage if you uh, eliminate uh, communication between the two. Now, we live in a world where uh, uh, some very difficult and and bad statistics exist about uh, marriage. Uh, the, The misnomer is is that uh, divorce amongst uh, people in the United States is 50% or higher. Uh, This is no longer the case simply because people are not getting married any longer. People are just simply living together, not committing to marriage. They are... It's not that they're dating, they're just simply living together without the, uh, the 
uh, formality of marriage. Uh, some people would say that the reason that they do this is because uh, one of the issues is, is that our government has made it so that it is more advantageous to file uh, separately and not uh, divide, to file jointly. Uh, when you file your income tax, it is, uh, uh, it is the case that you get more out of your income tax if you file separately. Uh, another thing is, is that there's so many who are, have found themselves in the quagmire of social welfare that if they were to get married, they would lose their benefits or many of their benefits if they were to get married. Uh, many of them would no longer be eligible to live in public housing or to, uh, to have a lot of the uh, benefits that come from our welfare system if they were married. So many of them just simply live together uh, as if they are uh, married but not being married. And this is the case uh, for many who find themselves in that situation. Uh, the problem with that is, is that many who uh, uh, are in that situation find that they are not in a committed relationship. Uh, the uh, commitment to a, a long-term relationship is not as great when there is no formality of uh, the uh, marriage ceremony. Uh, aside from, and, and that is saying that aside from the fact that you're dishonoring God when you do that. Uh, we, uh, there's a reason that we have weddings in the church. It's not because it's a social hall or because it's a place where it's set up naturally for people to come and witness an event, uh, which may be uh, that way for some. Uh, but uh, And this is something that I have to tell a lot of uh, couples that have come to me in the past uh, when asking if I'll perform a wedding for them, and that is, is that uh, to to have a wedding in a church and to have me as a minister uh, perform a wedding is to ask God to bless the unity of the of the couple. And many of them are are living in a way that's not honoring to God. So how can God possibly? Uh, bless a union if they are not living in a manner that God can bless. And so often I have to tell them that they have to get things right with God and right in their relationship before I can ever be involved in that relationship. And I basically tell them if you don't want to uh, hear that and you don't want to abide by uh, that stipulation, you can always go up to City Hall and get married uh, in a civil union easily, but if you want to wear a marriage uh, in which I am, and I've even told them also, look, uh, I don't control the reins of the church building. I'm not the owner of the church building. This is not my church. This is God's church. If the church, uh, the, the people who make up this church ever decide that, uh, that a couple is to use uh, the church for a wedding, and I disagree, I always say, well, I don't have to be involved. I can uh, never be forced to perform a wedding. Uh, as a minister of the gospel, I have to stand by my principles. And I've uh, told couples that before. You can use, the, if the church uh, uh, approves of your use of the church, you're welcome to use the church, but don't expect me to be the, uh, the officiant for that wedding because I, I have certain standards. And I even had a deacon one time talk to me about the fact that uh, the standards in the Bible are too uh, archaic for us to expect young people nowadays to live up to those standards. And I tell them, well, that's not what God said in His Word. And I'm not going to abide by 
that kind of reasoning and I'm not going to do a wedding. Uh, and I said, look, I'm not... Uh, that particular couple uh, uh, told him something that I didn't say. I didn't say that I was uh, the... Uh, I told this couple, look, I'm not the uh, relationship police. I'm not going to sit outside your window to make sure that you do this. This is up between you and God. And they took it to mean that um, that I could tell them a lie so that I, I'd do a wedding. And I said, no, that's not what, what I said. That's not what I, I, uh, I, I told them. I told them uh, that uh, God is the one uh, who they need to uh, seek uh, the blessing from. And when we do the wedding in church, this is uh, where uh, God is, is. They are seeking God's blessing on a, uni- a unity and a marriage. And I said, uh, you know, there's. I told them, look, there's enough against you already to indicate that this marriage is not going to survive. Uh, just simply statistics alone. Uh, for me to go ahead with this wedding would be uh, 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 a disservice to them, uh, but more importantly, a disservice to God. Uh, most individ- most couples that live together before marriage, 75% of them never get married. Of those couples that do get married, 83% of those couples that do get married after living together end up in divorce. More than 50%, 83% end up in divorce. Uh, so I told him, look, you know, you're fighting an uphill battle. I said, for me to do this for you is, uh, uh, would go against my uh, morals and my principles and against God. And so I told him, I said, uh, you're welcome to go and uh, get someone else to do the wedding if you like. You're welcome to go and have a wedding at the uh, city hall if you like, but I'm not going to participate in the wedding. I said, unless you get right with God and you spend a period of time away from each other, not living under the same roof. And I said, uh, you've already messed up in the fact that you have been living together and, and playing house. I said, but I also believe in uh, 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 forgiveness. I believe that God forgives us of our sin, uh, sin, sins when we confess before Him. And I said, if you go to God and, and do that, and confess to Him that you've done this and that you seek His uh, forgiveness and begin to live as He intends for you to live, then I'll uh, do your wedding. Uh, but I said, otherwise, I can't do that. And uh, um, those are my standards simply because uh, young couples have... Uh, before them a greater chance of not uh, their marriage not surviving uh, because of these factors. And I also told them that, uh, uh, that another statistic that's against them is, is that uh, I think 79% of those who uh, come from a, a family of divorce where uh, one or both of the the uh, either the bride or the groom or, or uh, both of them, if they have um, uh, grown up in a home of divorce, that they are more likely uh, to get a divorce in their marriage as well, simply because uh, it has been, uh, I don't want to say program, but they have lived in a situation where 
uh, divorce has been seen as an alternative to marriage. And I said, and I said, the only thing that can change that is God. God can change that, and God can change. Uh, and, and two people coming from, uh, or one or both uh, coming from a divorced home, uh, can survive and not uh, be divorced. I said, but God's got to be a major, uh, the major factor in all of that. God can make the difference, and God can change that. But you've got to give it all to God, and, and which every marriage should be that we should give everything that we can to God, and we have to remember that the primary relationship that we have in a marriage is us to God, not us to each other. If we don't have a good relationship with God, we'll never have a good relationship with a spouse. It's just plain and simple. There's never a marriage that will survive if the, the couple don't have a good relationship to God first. And not second, but first. And so... Uh, uh, these are the things that, that mar- uh, young people face when they go into uh, uh, getting married and starting a family, starting a relationship with uh, someone in their life. And uh, that doesn't take into account personalities and all those other things that also are a factor. Uh, but those things can be worked out over and worked uh, through and worked beyond. Uh, but these other things are so difficult. And so I always start with those. And uh, we see here in the Song of Solomon a set of songs or poetry that is written between two individuals, uh, a king or a prince and a, a young maiden. And they are... Uh, there are so many different uh, views of what uh, the Song of Solomon is. Uh, is it allegorical? Is it this? Is it that? Well, uh, to be honest, it's, it's uh, all of those things and, and more probably. Um, but I want to look at it in turn. And there are many pastors who say, uh, listen, this is a song between God the King and the church, the young maiden and listen to the love that is shown between the young maiden and the king. And think about how God relates to us. And and throughout Scripture, we read time and time again that the relationship that we have with God is like a marriage. And that's why it's so important uh, to... And that's a key issue of why I place such importance on... Uh, a strong marriage at home because the marriage uh, between a man and a woman is seen as uh, the uh, image of the relationship between God and the church. And so that's why it's uh, critical that we have good relationships in the home, good relationships in our marriage. And so we uh, let's just dive straight in. Uh, the... There are two verses that I wanted to look at. Ecclesiastes 9.9 9, uh, is uh, the first one before we get into our text. Just uh, turn back a, a couple of pages to Ecclesiastes 9.9. 9. Uh, uh, scriptures tell us, Live joyfully with the wife of whom thou lovest all of thy life. Uh, of thy uh, vanity which he hath given thee under the sun 
all of the days of thy vanity, for that is thy uh, portion in this life and in thy labor, which thou takest uh, under the sun. And so we're admonished by uh, Solomon to uh, remain with the wife of, uh, whom that we love and to make sure that we have a good relationship. Turn a little bit further back to uh, Proverbs chapter 5. Verse 18, Proverbs 5.18 says, Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind in the pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee all at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. And so we're, we're admonished to stay in a loving relationship, the relationship that God gives us. And so in Song, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 1, it says, uh, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. So these are the words of Solomon. Uh, that's why it's written Song of Solomon. Uh, Let him kiss me, and these are the words of the young maiden. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, uh, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers, and we will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine, and the upright love thee. And so we see right off, right from the very beginning, this love relationship between the king and a young maiden, a young woman that, that he has taken for his wife. And he says, look, the maiden says, everyone loves the king and everyone and all the maidens, he's a looker. Uh, she says, all of the maidens love him. And... Uh, he, uh, she says, because of, thy, of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is an ointment poured forth, and therefore do the virgins love thee. She says, look, uh, everything that you do is like an ointment that's poured over us. Every, all the good deeds, all the things that you do, all the gracious things that you provide, you uh, engender love. And that's the first thing that we need to remember when we are keeping a, a sure foundation, maintaining a solid foundation in our marriage is that we have to remember it's the things that we do. Not just the words that we say, but all the things that we do that, that back up the things that we say. I cannot tell my wife that I love her if I don't back that up with the way and the attitude that I live, the way in which I do the things in the home, the way in which I care for, for her and I care for my family. Those are all things that speak forth the love that I have for her. This woman says... Uh, that you pour forth your ointment to us 
uh, and just the mention of your name is enough to cause us to love you. Why? Because of all the things that he does, all the expressions of love that he. This king loves his people, and he, and he engenders love. And if we're going to be people who have a solid relationship with our family, we've got to remember to engender love towards our loved one. I remember an old Andy Griffith episode. Now, I grew up in a home where we watched a lot of old TV, not because uh, my daddy for a long time told me that we could only watch old TV programs because we had an old TV. And we had an old black and white TV. We didn't have a color TV, so we couldn't watch any color TV programs because we had an old black and white TV. I was young enough to believe him. I think the reason, though, uh, was that he wanted to ensure the fact that we watched some good quality TV programs. And Andy Griffith show had a show about uh, two individuals that were married, and and they uh, the show started out with them uh, being in a big fight and throwing things at each other. And Andy took them under his wing and he did everything he could to try and get them uh, to, to have a good loving relationship and he taught them you got to start saying things that are nice and, and he, he stuck with them and made sure that they and he of course had the jail to ensure that they followed his instructions and he said look I'm the justice of the peace I can't have y'all breaking the peace so I'm going to make sure that y'all uh, uh, keep the peace so uh, this couple that was always bickering and yelling at each other, uh, he told them, you've got to say something nice about each other. And, and the husband was forced to say something nice about the wife. And, and the wife was, uh, was forced to say something about the husband. And, and it was very comical at the beginning because they had such a hard time saying something nice to one another. But as the show progressed, he, Andy went back out to see how they were doing. And, and they were just smiling at each other and saying all kinds of sweet things to each other and 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 it's a, you have to do that in order to express your love towards each other the only problem was this couple didn't feel as though they were expressing how much they loved each other because they weren't expressing their true feelings and Andy soon found out that they were not able to express themselves and to express their love without sharing the way they were at the beginning of the show. And so uh, they went back to their old bickering ways, but it showed each other that they loved each other. And and while uh, we might not always understand it or agree with it, uh, we have to uh, allow couples to express their love to each other. Now, other couples express their love not by bickering and arguing with each other, but by doing little things, by uh, taking care of each other, making the bed, uh, doing the dishes after uh, a long day of hard work or uh, keeping the house looking pretty or, or bringing flowers or whatever it may be. We've got to engender love towards one another in the things that we do and the words that we say. And I would, I would propose that you do have to be nice to each other. I, I, I don't agree with yelling at each other and, and uh, uh, fussing that much. But there's always a situation where every couple will find themselves in that situation. In fact, one of the things that I do when I counsel young people is, is I've got to uh, ask, uh, one of the questions I have with them is, is 
how do they argue? And they say, oh, we're in love. We don't argue. And I said, no, no, no. You don't understand me. How do you argue? And they said, well, we don't argue. We, we're in love. And, and I tell them, look, you may not argue now, but you will argue later. And I said, so how do you argue? And they said, well, we don't know. And I said, I can tell you how you're going to argue. And I said, look at how your parents argue. Um, if your parents slam the door and run away from uh, and and leave the room when you get into an argument uh, and yell from another room, that's how you're going to uh, uh, argue in your marriage. And I said, if you uh, stand at each other and they and you yell in each other's face, that's how you're going to argue. And they say, well, how can you tell us that we're going to do that? And I say, well, it's very simple. You, as a young child, learned how your parents argue, and that's how you will argue when you get into a marriage relationship. And I said, doesn't matter what you think, you're going to argue that way. And they, they said, I, we don't believe you. Or most of the time they say, how did you know? They say, uh, uh, and, and it's just simply understanding personalities, it's understanding uh, the things about us that, that tip you off as to what uh, people are going to do. It's not guessing, it's a science. And, uh, the, and again, the way we change those things is to make a conscious effort not to do those things. Now, you can be in a, a home where uh, your parents fought like cats and dogs and you swear up and down you'll never do that. Now, that's a strong influencer to keep you from doing those kind of things. And, but it's got to be a conscious effort to force yourself not to fall into that temptation or else you'll fall back into your old inclinations. Usually if something bad happened to you as a result of those uh, arguments that your parents had, that's the only reason why you would not argue in that way. If your parents had a good relationship and occasionally had a disagreement, that in which they argued and you witnessed it as a child, uh, that's when you pick up on those uh, styles of, of arguing. And listen, every married couple is going to argue simply because you're two different persons. As much as you love each other and as much as you're one, uh, one united together in a marriage, you're still going to argue because you're not going to agree on every single thing. Uh, that or else... Somebody is compromising and not admitting it, um, which is very dangerous as well. So I uh, share that with them and I tell them, look, you've got to uh, uh, be in a relationship where you show your love towards one another and express your love. And coincidentally, the way that your parents express their love towards each other is how you'll be inclined to do as well. Um, so a lot of times it's interesting to, to study the way in which uh, someone's heritage parenting uh, in their uh, life as a child uh, has been so that they'll be aware of those things when they go into their marriage relationship. God calls us to express our love towards one another. God calls us to be people who in, uh, are expressive of our love. And, and God is the one who ultimately is the example of our love. In fact, um, to beat all of these odds, I often tell young couples that do come from uh, disrupted uh, family lives before they uh, 
are getting married, I, I tell them, please look at God to be the example of how you live and not your parents. If, if you come from a situation where, uh, for instance, uh, you don't come from a, a Christian home or you come from a home that was racked by alcohol or racked by uh, drugs or, or any other uh, thing that caused a division in the home, I tell them, uh, look to God. God's always the perfect example for how we should live. Not just in a Christian walk, but in every aspect of our life. And God demonstrates that we should be uh, a household that expresses love. Because this song, uh, this song of Solomon is, as I said, not just a song between a king and a maiden, but it is also allegorical as, a relation, as it relates to God. God demonstrates His love so greatly to us. And God engenders His love towards us in all the things that He does. It's not hard to love God, is it? I mean, we're all Christians here, so we all automatically feel as though God is love and that God uh, expresses His love. But if we didn't know God, it would be hard to argue that God is a God of love. Now, a lot of people falsely claim that God uh, 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 allows wars and all these kind of things uh, or that God causes divisions amongst people and all that kind of thing. They misrepresent God and they misrepresent uh, who God is. And so that is why they have a false understanding of who God is. But in this Song of Solomon, uh, Solomon could very well be talking about uh, God because God does pour forth His love and it is as an ointment that flows throughout all those that are a part of His kingdom and all those who know God have this feeling of His love. And it pulls us into a love relationship with God because of the love that He expresses to us. Now, who amongst us didn't learn from the very beginning that, uh, that we ought to love God because He first expressed His love towards us in Jesus Christ? And so, uh, even if, if that's the only verse that you're aware of, you would be aware of what God does to uh, express His love uh, towards us. Let's continue reading. Um, the young maiden says, I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kindar, uh, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mouth, uh, uh, my mother's children were angry with me, and they made me the keeper of the vineyards. But mine own vineyards have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom uh, my soul loveth, where, uh, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of the companions of thy companions? If thou know me, uh, if thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way. And this is I meant to stop it at verse seven. Uh, next, the 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 speaker, the woman, is saying, "Look, I'm black and I'm comely." Um, she is saying this about being black as. Uh, she's not saying that she's African-American per se, but she's out in the sun all day long. She works in the fields. She's very tan. That 
If you recall back to your history about Elizabethan history, you remember that women at that time uh, stayed out of the sun all the time. The fairer the skin, the the more attractive uh, these women were. Um, this was the case in in this situation. She says, "Look, I'm a, I'm just a poor servant girl. I'm always out in the sun. I'm so much out in the sun that my skin is is very dark. It's black." And she says, "I'm comely, but she says, but you uh, love me, and you." Uh, uh, and she says, I want to do everything I can to be in your presence, to be there where you are. She says, I want to know where you're going to have your flocks. I want to be there uh, because, uh, again, remember, she's just talked about how the king has expressed his love uh, towards those that he is uh, over. And he says, I want to be in your presence because uh, of your love. And the king says, If thou... Uh, Know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock, and feed thy kids before uh, beside the shepherd's tents. And I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in uh, Pharaoh's chariots. And the the cheeks of thy comely uh, with rows of jewels, and thy neck with chains of gold. We will make thee borders of of gold with studs of silver. And so he's saying, he's expressing his love back to her, and he is saying everything about you. He says, I love. He says, I I compare you. uh, how, How am I supposed to compare you to anything? And throughout the Song of Solomon, there are very different descriptions of these individuals and uh, these two. And we just miss out completely on what they're trying to express because uh, we don't understand uh, what they're trying to get at. But they're expressing how beautiful each other, uh, each of them are. And the the uh, the king here is saying that she is a beautiful maiden and that he loves her and he's comparing her to these things we've got to remember and this point is is that we need to remember how to express our love towards our spouse we've got to never forget uh, that we express our love to each other. We can't forget to uh, ex- uh, let our words be an adornment to them. Let the things that we say about who they are uh, be those things that adorn uh, them and make them feel as though they are loved. Uh, the king here expresses his love. The maiden uh, in the scriptures right before uh, is expressing her love and her desire to be with him, and he is now expressing his love towards her. Um, He goes on to express how lovely she is and how uh, beautiful she is and all those things. We've got to be expressive about our love. We have to be uh, willing to express our love towards our spouse. And time and time again, if you want to look at this from a perspective of God and the church, you can see time and time again how God expresses His love, not in a eros way of in which we would between us and a 
and spouse, but in an agape way in which God expresses His uh, divine love for us. And we need to do the same thing when we are in a, a relationship with our spouse. We've got to be willing to express those, ex, uh, those uh, feelings that we have and make sure that, that we are uh, taking the time to express our love towards each other. And she says, look, your words are like a, a beautiful... In the next section, and I'll just go over this instead of reading it. Uh, she says, the, uh, your words are like a perfume to me. All that you say and all the things that you do are like a, a beautiful ointment. Uh, she says, all the things that you are saying are... are it makes me feel so good and, and it just is an outpouring of your love. Our words make a huge difference in the way in which we communicate with one another and the way in which we share our love is so important. We have to take time to be sure to express that love. And uh, there's a lot to be said about modern conveniences, but let me tell you something. Uh, in... Uh, five years or ten years down the road, you're not going to pull out an old text or an old uh, email. You're going to pull out an old letter. And there's a lot to be said of taking the time to write down uh, your expressions of love towards your spouse from time to time in written form. It shows how much you care about that individual taking time to, to express it and expressing it in your own hand. Uh, we've got to express our love towards one another. God wants us to do these things. God wants us to have a good foundation of love. And He, dem as I said, He's demonstrated that towards us in everything that He does for us. God expresses His love throughout the Scripture. He's given us a very lengthy love letter. Everything in the, in the Bible is an expression of God's love. And we need to understand how much God loves us by pouring through His Word and taking time to, to read the, the words of His love towards us. And we've got to take time to express our love towards one another. God set the example for us. We've got to do the same in our relationship if we want to have a relationship that is lasting. If we want to have a good, solid foundation in our home. We've got to do that. Now I realize that uh, many of you probably have been in relationships longer than I've been alive and I, I dare say that I'm not a, an authority on that but I, I do speak with the authority of the Scripture and I believe that these are things that God wants us to do in our life. He demonstrates them in His Word and He demonstrates them in His actions for us and these are the things that we need to do to have a good relationship in our home so that we'll have a good solid foundation for our families. Let's bow in prayer.